Amen. Certainly come to worship the name of Jesus. Can we clap our hands one more time and give Jesus some praise? Well, what a delight and honor it is to be here gathered with God's people praising the name of Jesus Christ. Can we thank God for the worship team, y'all? Amen. Amen. Welcome to our first-time visitors. It is good to see your faces here. We love that you are here. You certainly could have you could have went anywhere today. It's 10,000 churches in Brooklyn, uh, and you passed all of them to come here today, and we are grateful. Uh, our church believes that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Very complex city, very big city. Nevertheless, we believe that the Lord loves it and that he desires to uh, engage every single person in this culture. Listen, I'm eager to preach the word of God. Why don't you do me a favor and grab your Bibles and meet me in Romans. You could have guessed that that's where we'll be this morning. Amen. As you turn there, uh, we kicked off our series and our journey through the book of Romans last week. And uh, last week, I mean, it was, it was a good introduction for us. We did verses 1 through 7 and really learned a lot about this book. Learned that Paul is the writer of this book. He wrote it somewhere between 56 and 58 A.D., uh, we learned that Paul identified himself as uh, a servant of Christ. That was his primary identification. But then he also said that I, I'm apostle as well, which means I'm pretty high ranking in terms of authority in, uh, in the early church. And then he ends it by saying, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. So we tried to spend some time lay a, laying a foundation. Probably was a little bit more academic than we, we try to be here, but uh, we needed to lay a foundation for the book. And today we're going to see that Paul... Uh, has a deep desire, and that desire is to visit this church, which, by the way, he has not seen up until this point. He has not seen the believers he is writing to. And so I'm eager to get into this passage. But before I do, let me quickly lay before you a prayer request. Uh, it actually came up as one of the announcements. Uh, for the last 35 days, our uh, government here has been shut down. And uh, for, for some of you, and I'm not trying to make this political, I don't know where you land on the spectrum of your, your, your politics and what you believe. Nevertheless, I think it's important for us to make sure that as a church, we are praying for our, our nation and praying for our elected officials. Again, didn't matter if you voted for them or not. Uh, what matters is as a believer, we have an obligation because at the end of the day, when I read uh, Proverbs, it says that the king's heart is like water in God's hand. So at the end of the day, the Lord's accomplishing his will, even with someone you didn't vote for, maybe you did. And so we as a church have an obligation to, we have two obligations. We need to pray, and then we need to vote. Let me say it again. Pray, and then vote. And then you can throw some shade in there, however you feel, you know, between the prayer and the vote. But nevertheless, make sure those two things are happening. So uh, all jokes aside, we, let's be praying for those that were impacted by the shutdown. Yes, it was uh, over 800,000 uh, federal employees that were impacted, but it also impacted just so many others and family members. And, and so maybe you know somebody, maybe you don't. Nevertheless, let's make sure we are lifting up uh, the nation that uh, we are uh, a part of. All right, let's get into the word. Uh, pick me up in verse 8. Romans 1 verse 8 says, so I, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported around the world. That's profound. Verse 9, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son. 
that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want to very much see you so that I may impart to you spiritual gift, a spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, underline this, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had in the rest uh, among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Underline verse 15, it is foundational for us. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let me read verse 15 one more time. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to preach this morning from the, or this afternoon from the topic entitled Shaped by the Gospel. Shaped by the gospel. Look at your neighbor and just say, are you shaped by the gospel? We certainly will find out by the time we get done with this message. Let us look to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the ability that we have to gather together to get around your word. Deuteronomy 8.3 says it best. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so, Father, today we are submitting ourselves to this word. We believe that this is the revealed word of you. We believe that you breathe this out. So, Lord, we want to we live up to it. We want to feel the weight of it. So, Father, would you impact us today as we talk about, talk about what it means to be shaped by the gospel and what it doesn't. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Shaped by the gospel. My, my first car was a 1999 Toyota, uh, Toyota Tercel. I don't know if you all remember those little cars, but uh, it was given to me. I didn't buy it. It was given to me, given to me by my mother. And there's a couple of things you need to know about my mother right away. Uh, number one, she was born in Pensacola, Florida, but quickly moved to Fort Worth, Texas, which is where she spent most of her, her, uh, her life, her childhood life going even into her adult life. She spent in Fort Worth. And as a result, she became a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. Hu I mean, huge Dallas Cowboy. Hey, whatever. Huge <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fan. And somebody said, bless her heart. <laughs> and so... Because of that, you know, there was just a few things I didn't know about the car. When she gave me the car, uh, I was living in Philadelphia. My wife and I just got married. We moved into the northeast section of Philadelphia. And I couldn't understand why when I was driving down the road, people would just honk at me. I couldn't understand why when I pull up to a red light, people would uh, flick me off and then quickly ride by me. And I just couldn't figure it out. I'm dead serious. I couldn't figure it out. Until one day I was uh, riding into the parking lot of the job that I worked at, and a coworker was riding behind me. And I finally get upstairs, and I'm met by an email from that person that was behind me. The person that was riding behind me said, you probably should consider taking the Dallas emblem off the back of your license plate. Had no clue. Ran downstairs because I was baffled, looked at the back of my car, and there it was. I heart the Cowboys right <laughs> on the license plate. And I realized in that moment that I was representing the opposite team in a hostile culture. And hear me, that is what every single Christian is called to do. Every single one of you is called to represent the kingdom in a culture that is anti-Christian. You were called to represent Christian values and Christian morals in a culture that pushes against this very idea 
And I know many of you saying this is impossible for us to live in a culture that doesn't represent Christ, but we're supposed to live to reflect Christ. That is impossible. Well, Paul is writing today to a group of believers that are flourishing in their faith. He's writing to a group of believers that are thriving in their faith. In fact, their reputation precedes them. Look at verse 8. Look at what Paul says. First, I thank my God. Through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because of the news of your faith is being reported around the world. Paul wanted the church at Rome to know that even though I haven't met you, I haven't visited you, I'm miles and miles and miles away, the news of your faith has already reached me. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, what, what, that, that's not really a big deal, but that is a big deal, that maybe how devoted they were to prayer has reached all the way, all the way to Paul's ear. Maybe they were devoted to living out the gospel. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is not just something you proclaim, it's something you live. And Paul has heard about the faith of these believers all the way in Rome. And this seems easy to do if you're a church in Jerusalem. If you're a church in Jerusalem, I can understand how you're thriving in your faith. But please note that Paul is writing about these believers thriving in their faith in a pagan culture like Rome, in a place where uh, there was a pantheon of gods and Christianity was not the only, uh, Christ wasn't the only God that was served, but in a place where there were other alternatives in terms of religion, in that place, they are thriving in their relationship with the Lord, which tells me in a culture that is anti-Christian, you can thrive in your faith, which tells me in a culture that pushes against this idea of loving Jesus and walking with Jesus and having standards and having morals, you and I can continue to grow in our faith because in this pagan culture, the believers thrived. In the, under, under the uh, 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 hateful emperor like Nero and Titus, these, these, I mean, these emperors that were anti-Christ the church thrived. Here's why I say, man, I don't care who's, I don't care who's in the White House. I'm legit when I say that. I have no fear as a Christian who is in the White House because at the end of the day, the church always has thrived under bad leadership. Look at the church in Rome right here. They're thriving even though the culture around them pushes against this. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what we are called to do. You and I are called to thrive in our faith in a culture that pushes against this idea. I mean, in a culture that celebrates uh, the lack of morality in our politicians. The, the, a culture that, that normalizes the idea of treating women in a horrible way. I couldn't believe earlier this week, I was watching a story on CNN. I don't know if you guys have seen this story of a young lady that was in a vegetated state in Phoenix, and she's in a vegetated state, not able to respond, not able to communicate, and her nurse that was supposed to be taking care of her rapes her while she's in a vegetated state. Okay, it gets worse. She gets pregnant in a vegetated state. She carries a baby in a vegetated state, and then she gives birth to a baby that she didn't even consent to have. And so what, what I'm saying is we live in a depraved culture. We live in a culture that is anti-Christian. I was watching the news yesterday and saw a young man walk around his house and shoot his whole family up. And so when I look at that, it's easy for me to say, I can't grow in this type of a, a culture. I need to be secluded. I need to be isolated. I need to be a, a hermit. 
But do you, you do know that even if you isolate yourself from everybody else, there's still sin because you're there. If all of us packed up our stuff and went to an area in the desert and said, we're going to do life here, sin is present. And so at the end of the day, what we need is not to try to run from sin. What we need to do is try to be a light in the midst of sin. Matthew 5 says you need to be salt and you need to be light. And so when I look around me, I see the depravity. When I look around me, I see the wickedness. When I look around me, I see the evil. I see pastors molesting teenagers. I'm looking at the docuseries and seeing these well-known artists uh, uh, abusing these young ladies. These beautiful young black ladies are being abused by somebody that should be protecting them. So I look around and I say, God, I can't grow in this culture. But when I read this, I'm like, wait a second. The believers, like Paul has the audacity to write that the believers grew in their faith in the midst of a pagan culture like Rome. Like, no, yes, Rome was known for wickedness. In fact, can I read you some quotes from two people that were there during the first century? Here's what a guy by the name of Seneca says. He, he was a Roman philosopher in the first century. He called Rome a cesspool of iniquity. Here's another one. A guy named Juvenal, he's a writer and a poet during the first century in Rome. He says that Rome was a filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire flood. In the midst of that type of a culture, believers, he should be writing, I know you're dwindling in your faith because of the culture, but he's writing, you're thriving in your faith in the midst of the culture. Here's my question to you this morning. Who in this room is thriving in the midst of this culture? Who is known for having a gospel stance in this culture? Who, who is known for pushing against the darkness because you're light? Who's known on your job for being the one that represents Jesus even though nobody else does? Who, who's the one that's known in your family as being a pillar of gospel truth even though nobody else knows Jesus in your family? Who is that person? Who is that person in this room that has a reputation of godliness even when people around you don't? This is why I pray for you. Like, constantly I'm praying for this church because I realize that some of you hold great occupations in great places. And you squander the opportunity of being a light and salt even in those places. I pray for those of you that are doctors. Some of you are lawyers. So some of you are, are, are graphic designers and you're beauticians and you do hair and you do makeup and some of you have businesses. And I'm not asking that God would take you out of that place to put you in a Christian place. I'm asking that you would be salt and light in that pagan culture. What would it look like for all of us in this room with, to take seriously the mission fields that God has given you? God has put you in that place not to make money. He put you in that place so that you can represent him. And so often we squander those opportunities. We become like everybody else around us. But when I'm reading this passage, I'm like, oh, wait a second. The, these, these believers were so shaped by the gospel that they, became, they then shaped the culture. It's like how many of us are being influenced by the culture versus influencing the culture? And let me tell you something. You cannot influence the culture by showing up to work late every single week. I know this is practical. Y'all like get back in the text. Listen to me. You cannot, you cannot shape your job if everybody else shows up and they don't know Jesus, but you calling out every week and you calling out and you going to brunch and taking selfies, doing duck lips. You, you can't 
You cannot shape the culture by not having integrity on your job. You cannot shape the culture by lacking integrity in your work. And Christians should be the best employees. Christians should be the best bosses. Christians should have the most integrity. Like we should have integrity in our businesses. But yet many of us don't take those opportunities serious. Why? Because we don't think it matters. But when I'm reading this, I'm like, wait a second. But these believers were so serious about their faith, even amongst a pagan culture, they said, I'm going to thrive. I'm going to represent Jesus Christ. And so listen to me. The world is watching you. Listen to me. You think your coworkers aren't watching. They're watching you. And you cannot share the gospel if the first thing they're going to say is, but you show up every late to, to work late. Every week you're late. Or, 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 you know, you're on your way out the door because you're about to get fired, but you want to share the gospel with somebody. I know this is practical, but it's true. Many of us lack integrity. We sit on company time and we scroll eight hours on social media and we play solitary. And, brother, we, we look at our fantasy football leagues when you should be working. I'm in a group chat, and sometimes in that group chat, the friends I'm chatting with, I'm looking. I'm like, ain't you supposed to be at work? <laughs> like, you talking all day long? Like, I pick up the phone later on in the day. I'm like, yo, I got 52 messages and you're supposed to be at work. But here's the point I'm making. Get off the group chat and get to work. Why? Because people are watching you. And so people were watching these, these believers in Rome. And the believers didn't mind because they were representing Jesus in such a great way. But what I love about Paul here is Paul does not give them credit for growing in their faith. You would think that Paul would say, man, thank you guys because what I'm hearing is so refreshing to my soul. Mm -mm. He never thanks them for their faith. Look at who he thinks in the text. Verse number eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported around the world. Paul realizes that the ability to walk straight in a perverse culture has to be done only with the power of God. You cannot walk straight in your own power. Listen, sin is too great. You think you can beat sin? You can't. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Spirit to walk with you as you walk in your culture. So Paul, so Paul says here, listen, I'm not even giving you credit for growing in your faith. I'm thanking God for you growing in your faith. Really what he's saying is outside of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to walk in this culture. You, do you hear me? It's impo- you, you know how I know this is true? Because many of us have tried to stop sinning in our own power and our own merit and you always fall back like don't get it twisted you always fall back when you try to do it on your own but when you lean in the power of the holy spirit you can look back at that thing that you enjoyed and be like that's disgusting that's when you know you're growing in the spirit you know you're growing in the spirit when what used to be fun is no longer fun you're now pushing against that thing that you once enjoyed why because galatians 5 16 to say it this way it says, for if we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Things that used to, I used to enjoy, I no longer enjoy anymore. Why? Because I'm walking in the spirit. So Paul says, listen, I can't thank you for it. Like, I'm grateful, but I thank God for working through you. Now, look at what he says. He's so excited about their growing faith that he wants to meet them. So verse 9 says, God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. Watch this desire he has. 
always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow God's will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you, I love this, some spiritual gift, gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul says here, listen, I heard about your faith and it's so great that I'm desiring to come see you. But my desire to come see you is really twofold. I'm desiring to come see you, number one, because I need to impart spiritual gifts to you. But number two, I need to come see you because your boy needs some encouragement as well. He says, I need to be mutually encouraged by your faith and you by mine. And so Paul here gives us his objective for wanting to meet them. First giving and then receiving. Giving in part the spiritual gifts, but receiving to be encouraged by you. Let's deal with both of them. First off, first off he wants to impart spiritual gifts to them. We do not know if Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts that he's going to lay out in chapter 12. We aren't there yet. I'm not going to preach it. But in chapter 12, he, he gives us five spiritual gifts that are thriving in the church. He says there's prophecy, there's serving, there's teaching, there's exhorting, and there's generosity. By the way, do you know that generosity is a spiritual gift? Like you going on to Epiphany's link and, and clicking your, your money to give to Epiphany, that is a gift from God. The same way prophecy is a gift to the church, the same way teaching is a gift to the church, generosity is a gift to the church. And so Paul may be laying out the spiritual gifts that he wants to impart to them based on what he's going to say. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's any gift. Because everybody in this room has some type of talent and some type of gifting. In fact, every gifting that we have is given to us by the Lord. You're not gifted because you ate your Wheaties and you studied in school. You are gifted because God has gifted you. Let me put Bible there, James chapter 1, verse 17, to say it this way. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. Whatever gifting you have, God has given it to you. But the point that Paul is making has nothing to do with the actual spiritual gift. What he's showing us is whatever gifting you have, bring it to the church. How do I know that? Because he says, I desire to, to impart to you the spiritual gifts that God has given me. Paul's main goal of coming to them is to impart to them either the gift of teaching. He has the gift of prophecy. He wants to impart those gifts to the church to strengthen them. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to the place where we took all of our giftings and all of our talents and all of the unique ways that God has made you and brought them to the church. See, what we do is we take our giftings and we build our career. You take your gifting and you invest it into corporate America. You invest it into your business alone. But Paul is saying, don't just invest the giftings that God has given you into the world and give the church the leftovers. We are starving of the unique gift that you have. So Paul is like, bring that gift here, what, you, what we do is we give, we give the world the best us, and we give the church the leftovers. And let me, I, something I know about leftovers, food is always better when you cook it the first day, it's when it's fresh. Like, you ever try to heat grits back up? That's the nastiest thing. It just don't quite stir the same way. It's just lumpy and hard. I don't care how much water you put in it, and it don't matter how you try to recreate it. And that's what we get. You give the world the fresh grits, but give us the day-old grits. And the reality is, Paul is like, listen, I want to impart to you 
some spiritual gifts. I want to impart to you something that, that is going to be needful for the church at Rome. So first, he says, listen, I want to give to you. But he doesn't only want to give to them. He also goes for mutual encouragement, which means verse 12 says he's going for mutual encouragement. This means that there were times where Paul got discouraged. And the only way he got encouraged again was not going to counseling. I'm not against it, was not going to your friends, was not having a beer before bed. The only way he got encouraged again was getting back around the body. The only way he re- you ever come you ever come in here depressed and you looked around and, and people was encouraging you and loving on you and you walked out of here with a sense of strength. Why? Mutual encouragement. And there are times that you need that. And leaders, hear me. All of you that volunteer in here, if all you do is give and give and give, and that's what Paul did in verse 11. He imparted, so he gave. But if that's all you do, you'll be depleted and you'll be discouraged. But, you all, but the same is true for the opposite. If all you do is receive and receive and receive, you're consumeristic and a bit selfish. So Paul says what we need is balance. I want to give and part spiritual gifts. But I also want to receive. Receive what? Encouragement. I don't know if you've ever received from the body, but it's a blessing. I know you feel like you're blessed because you're the one that's given. But in reality, it's a blessing to sit back and receive because you allow the body to be the giver while you're now the receiver. In October, my wife, uh, Ty, experienced two unexpected surgeries. We didn't expect the first one, and then we went back in for a follow-up visit. And many of you know the story, but found out that they didn't do the first surgery right, and so they had to correct it and go back in and do another surgery 10 days later. And so her recovery started back over, and she was legit on bed rest. She needed She needed constant help, and I realized in that moment, I've always been on the opposite side. I've always been the one giving to the body. I've always been the one coordinating the meals and and encouraging you, and if you're you're a family member or a loved one passed away, I was the first one to make sure we sent flowers, and we were there, and we were present with you, but this is the first time that I got to receive from this local church. I mean, y'all made meal plans. And y'all bought good food. Like, y'all didn't give me the leftovers. Y'all bought good food. I couldn't even close my refrigerator sometimes. It was just so much food. We received uh, Tashina's cookies. And if you ain't never had Tashina's cookies, like, the Lord may not love you if you ain't had Tashina's cookie yet. I'm serious. Do not leave this earth without having Tashina's chocolate chip cookies. I'm telling you. We received, like, she would call and be like, do the kids want some cookies? And just pop over and bring cookies. Young ladies in the church would call us and be like, can I go grocery shopping for you? And we benefited from the body. What do we get? Mutual encouragement. Because as a pastor, I'm, my bent is to always give. And then when I always give, I find myself tired. I find myself uh, wanting to be quick and sharp and short with people, including my family. And what I need, I, what I really need is sometimes is just to sit down, pull out my notepad, and let somebody else preach. Mutual encouragement. So I'm not asking you to always sit, and I'm not asking you to always give. I'm asking you to have a good balance. Paul says, I want to impart. What do I want to impart? I want to impart spiritual gifts to you to strengthen the body. But I also want to have mutual encouragement, which means there are times that I need to be encouraged. Now, don't, don't, don't miss this. This is Paul, okay? This is Paul that needs encouragement from the body. Paul that wrote 75% of the New Testament. Paul that last week said, I'm an apostle, meaning I'm a leader. 
But he's not just an apostle. He's an apostle that often rebukes other apostles. So he's, a, he's that dude. But Paul realized that even though I'm a pillar in the church, I really get discouraged and I need you. Let me just tell y'all something. I need y'all. Now, there are times that y'all come up to me after service and y'all be like, Pastor, the, the message really encouraged me. The service really encouraged me. But you have no clue that I'm just as encouraged by talking to you. I'm just as encouraged by hearing from you. There are some times when I tell the, 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 the volunteers, thank you for serving. They turn back around and say, thank you for serving. That encourages me. And oftentimes, that's what we need. Sometimes we just need mutual encouragement. And so Paul says, listen, when I'm weak and I'm discouraged, what do I need? I need to get around the body, so I'm desiring to see you. For, for really, there's really three reasons he's, he's desiring to see them. First, to impart spiritual gifts. Second, for mutual encouragement, and third can be found in verse 15. Look at verse 13 so we can read now. Y'all still with me? Verse 13, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had amongst the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated to both Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Here's verse 15. So that I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why in the world does Paul want to preach the gospel? Don't miss this to already professing believers. He's writing this letter to the church, which the church is made up of those who have professed faith in Christ. And Paul is saying, I desire to preach the gospel. Like it would have almost made sense to me if Paul said, I desire to come to Rome to preach the gospel to those that don't know Christ. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, I want to preach to you that are already believers. Why? Because the gospel has a unique way of saving the lost, but it also has a unique way of strengthening the found. This is why we need to hear the gospel often. This is why we don't move from the gospel. This is why the gospel ain't the starting point and then we end somewhere else. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, and the end. This is why we don't go to churches that preach Something other than Jesus Christ. There are times where some of you come to me and you be like, Pastor, listen, I'm bringing my non-believer uh, family member next week. And so can you make sure the gospel's there? And I'm often like, well, were you here last week and the week before and the week before and the week before going back to when we first started the church? Why? Because every single week we preach the gospel. Why do we do that? Not because of your trifling friend that you brought, but because of you need the gospel. I, I'm, I'm serious. We bring somebody and be like, I hope they preach the gospel. No, you need it just as much as the person you brought today. You need the gospel week in and week out. And I know some of you are like, well, it's redundant. I'm tired of hearing it. You need to hear it. And yes, Paul, of course, wants to preach the gospel to non-believers. In fact, if you read chapter 10, he's going to talk about preaching the gospel to non-believers. Remember in chapter 10 where he says, how then will they call on him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear? He, he says, how are they to believe without someone uh, to, to, to help them hear? And how are they to hear without a preacher? In other words, I need to preach the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. But before I even get to that, I need to strengthen you. The only way to strengthen them is through the gospel message of Christ. What is the gospel that Paul would have preached? What message what Paul would have preached that saves the lost but also strengthens the found? I, I love the way he lays it out in Ephesians chapter 2. If you're taking notes... Read Ephesians 2 when you get home, verses 1 through 10. It is the most clearest form of the gospel. He starts out by saying, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. 
So in other words, he starts out by telling us the good news by telling us the bad news. What's the bad news? You're dead. Like, hear me. You're not sick. You don't need two pills and call the doctor in the morning. You're dead. And one thing I know about dead people is dead people don't raise themselves back up. Dead people cannot clean themselves up to make themselves presentable, presentable to a holy God. We are all outside of Christ spiritually dead. But, but I love Paul because if he ends in, in, in Ephesians 2 by saying we're dead, we, we don't have hope. But he doesn't. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Here's his gospel presentation. You're dead in your sins. And it takes God to make you alive. It takes the work that Christ has done on the cross to make you alive. And then he ends it in verse 8 by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a, on your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's this gospel presentation in Ephesians. If you want to know the gospel that Paul is going to proclaim when he gets to Rome, here it is. You're dead in your sins. There is a holy God that will not accept your sin. Jesus Christ comes, verse 4, to make us alive together with him. And verse 8 will say, it's not even earned by you. It's, it's, it's not a result of your works. It's not a result of you being a good person. The gospel says you can't be a good person. But I love the gospel because it says you don't have to to earn his love. Christ already earned it for you. And now I behave and I want to obey not to be saved, but because I am saved. I obey now because Jesus Christ has accomplished what I couldn't accomplish on the cross. So Paul says, I, I just desperately desire to come preach the gospel to you. Why? Because he, he knows that the gospel shapes us. And once you're shaped by the gospel, you will then in turn shape the culture. See, the reason I don't run from the wickedness when I look at CNN and I sit in the, in the grocery store aisle line and I look at the tabloids and look at all the sin in the world, the reason I don't say, let me go to a remote area where nobody else is, the reason I don't do that is because I realize when I'm impacted by the gospel, I'm now able to impact the culture. I'm now able to impact Bed-Stuy because I love Jesus, because I follow Jesus. I'm able to be a better husband because I follow Jesus. I'm able to be a better father because I follow Jesus. Let me go deeper. I'm able to be a better employee, even with a wicked boss, because I follow Jesus. I know some of you are like, my boss is wicked. You ain't took notes all sermon. But hear me. And hear me very clearly. You and I in this room, we have an obligation to represent Jesus in this culture. We have an obligation to shift the culture because a bunch of Jesus lovers, we have to be a city within the city, and we have to impact this culture. And the only way you can do that is when you are devoted to Jesus, when you are growing in your affections, when you are growing in your love. Forget the surface-level Christianity. Like, I'm tired of surface-level where I come into church, I don't read my Bible, but I slip out, and nobody else knows what's going on in my life. Forget that. I'm talking about real believers that love Jesus, impact the culture, impact their family. Their neighbors are becoming believers because you're on your job. That's what we need. We need people that are shaped by the gospel. Therefore, they will shape the culture. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I love Paul's desire here because Paul's desire here really says to me that it's possible to flourish in my faith in this culture. I know sometimes it feels like we, we can't. And I know sometimes it feels like 
the sin that's all around us is too great for us. But when I read the scriptures, I realize that the Bible says that when Jesus got up on that cross, he literally broke the power of sin over you. When Jesus got up on the cross, there is no sin that you, will, you can now say is too strong for me. I'm now able to shape the culture because of it. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. I realize, oh God, that we're all desperately in need of your Holy Spirit's work in 